super amazing having those gifted, talented, beautiful women three in a row leading us in worship this morning. Awesome. I love this church. Hey, it is good to have you here. Christy and Brett Matins are with us today visiting from Denver. We miss you. We, we don't it really mean this, but sometimes we pray for your job to fail so that you'll have to move back. I only mean it medium. A medium pray that. Um, it's so good to have you in the house. Happy Father's Day to everybody in here who um, is a father, um, who has a father. Um, I, I was thinking this morning about this church and you and some of the very best dads I've ever known are in this room. Just some of the best men. We have some really outstanding men in our church who love well and they lead well and they try hard and they work hard and they care so much and and they have been such an integral part, um, not just obviously in their own families, but in the life of this church. And we are really, we're man blessed. Is that weird? (laughs) Hashtag man blessed. Um, my husband, of course, the best dad, my own dad, the best dad. And this is classic for those of you who know Larry King, my dad. He's, uh, he turned 70 in four weeks, and he is right this minute on a motorcycle with nine other guys on a seven-day ride through Colorado. So my dad is not going down without a fight, you guys. He is, he is slaying still. Um, hey, welcome back, kids. Our youth, our students were at youth camp all week long, and the reports that we are hearing are absolutely amazing. Um, it sounds like the best camp that we've probably ever had or attended. Shay and her leaders are so dear and so precious. I mean, basically, uh, other people volunteered to stay with y'all's kids for seven days. So um, that's really all I need to say. Like in a van, in a room, in bunk beds. I mean, listen, I was laughing with the other moms and dads when we were seeing them off in the parking lot um, last week, and, and they're all just, they're so rowdy, these weirdos. I mean, I love them. You know, half of them are mine. Um, and they're all clamoring and hollering, and, and, and I was like, I turned to Brandon and some of the other parents, I was like, you know, we were in student ministry for 10 years, and I said, I am... Um, remember why we left. Okay. That's mean. Um, but it's true. So, um, these guys had a really amazing week. So if you see one of these teenagers, just stop them and ask them what they learned, what they heard, what they experienced, what they saw, um, what they walked away with, because it was really, really a rich week. Thank you, Shay, for the way that you lead our students. You are the best. Yep. Yep. You're the best absolute best. Um, And one last thing, and then we'll finally get to the stuff. Good night. Um, I wanted to thank you on behalf of Brandon and I. uh, A a couple of weeks ago, the lot of you, um, led by the wonderful Morrises, um, wrote us, Brandon and I, a lot of letters and a lot of notes and a lot of cards. And it was was beyond meaningful. Like, I'm going to stop talking about it because I felt emotional. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. Y'all are dumb. So it was so precious. Um, We read every word, and it was certainly unexpected, and it was so kind. 
So um, thank you for your gift of words um, to us. I want you to know that we received them, and it was um, very dear, very, very dear. So, okay, um, onward. So let's see. I was kind of a weird kid. Um, I was really shy, I know that's strange, really quiet, even stranger, really awkward, probably not strange. Um, and so, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> this one always heckles. Um, but I had this real early and developed compass toward God. Um, uh, when I was six, you know, my dad has retold me this story, but I, I remember it. I remember it in my own mind. I remember sitting in church by my parents, and at the time, this was dad's first ministry job. We were in Little Rock, Arkansas at a church called Emmanuel Baptist. It's like the biggest Baptist church in the city. The Clintons, Governor Clinton, was a member. And I remember listening to the preacher, and his name was um, Dr. Vaught, which is kind of a legend. And I remember listening to him, and apparently I, um, if you didn't grow up in church, specifically probably Baptist church, maybe this will make no sense to you, but for those of us who were kids, we would take the, um, there was little envelopes right in front of us for the offering. Do you remember these? We would take them and peel them down, like undo the, the adhesive so that it would open out into a page that we could draw on, okay? This is just how we got through the hour. And so I peeled down the adhesive, and I borrowed pins out of my mom's purse, and I drew this diagram, this spiritual diagram of how I understood salvation to be, that what it looked like to start out in life separated from God, to ultimately discover him, and to decide to choose him for the rest of life. And I drew it all out, Um, and my dad asked if he could keep it. And so he put it in his Bible. And later that night, um, I asked him to, to, to tuck me in and I, we prayed and I prayed, um, as, as much as a six-year-old can understand, um, to have Jesus come into my life. And, um, a few weeks later I was baptized and I so, let me tell you the amount of effort that went into trying to find this for you. There's a recording of it. There's this recording, audio, of course, on a tape, um, of me being baptized in 1980. And I found it in my dad's desk when I was in college. And I remember plugging it in and listening to my little voice um, and my pastor's voice as he asked me questions and baptized me. It was stunningly meaningful. So I asked my dad this week, Dad, I need the tape. I need the tape for church. I want you to know that my dad has probably spent 70 hours in his attic looking for that tape, and it is missing. <laughs> He's, he put it in such a smart and special place, you know, that you cannot find it if you're trying with all your might, with all of your might. Um, but it was real, and I'm absolutely convinced that um, the faith of a child, because, you know, some people say, oh, you're six. You know, you couldn't possibly have understood God if you're also um, believing in Santa Claus, right? So um, I'm telling you that... I know in my heart, I know in my family and in my life um, that the faith of a child absolutely can be pure and real and true. Um, and I think about the way Jesus walked on this earth. And, and we see in the Gospels that grown adults were drawn into Jesus long before they understood his divinity, right? 
So there is a, we can come to Jesus with an incomplete knowledge and it can still be the realest and the truest thing that we have ever decided to do. Brandon has baptized all five of our kids now. Um, I'm going to show you because these are markers, just like I have that tape. Um, First of all, the first two pictures are terrible and I'm sorry because it was 2000s and we didn't, our, our phones were not on our cameras. Do you understand that they were a camera? And then I cut that into a triangle, and I had to zoom in on it. So um, Sydney and Gavin got baptized on the same day. It was December 6th, 2000, and, or December 10th, 2006. And Brandon bag, baptized them both. Caleb got baptized here at ANC June 14th, 2009. You obviously recognize the handiwork of Amy Melsa there. The pictures have improved. Um, Brandon baptized Ben on October 5th, 2014 the horse trough. And then he baptized Remy last and August 11th, 2015. Isn't that a great picture? So baptism has been a really beautiful part of our family's um, faith story. So we're talking about that a little bit this morning. And, and so it, as I was studying this week, I'm just remembering that that. Baptism, the whole idea of it, the whole concept of it was absolutely brand new in the Gospels, right? This is the, the first mention of it, the first time we really um, see this happening, and, and we really see it with John, with John the Baptist. Um, that's sort of the first um, depiction of baptism that we see, and we know that his ministry was incredibly powerful, and its main point was to prepare other people's hearts um, for, for the coming of Jesus. And so this is what um, he said, and he was a wild like a wild dude. I mean, weird clothes, weird hair, weird diet. I mean, he was a serious radical. He's out in the wilderness. He's out in the forest. He's out in the Jordan River, just dunking people, dunking them, preparing them for Jesus. And this is what he said in um, Matthew 3, verse 11. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That was extreme. Um, so here's, as I was studying this week and just, and just charting the thread of baptism um, through the New Testament, I realized that uh, bapt- baptism was surely not understood well. Um, there for a while, um, especially during Jesus's life. His example um, wasn't complete in baptism because he hadn't yet gone to the cross, right? He was still alive. So Jesus's contemporaries, his disciples and followers, only understood in part because uh, the story of baptism is really only fully complete when we link it with resurrection, Okay, that's when the story um, found its end. So, so we see the concept of baptism still developing um, in the early church as you start from the beginning of the Gospels and get through to the end. It took a while for this theology to become both clear and to spread. You know, it was just a different time. You weren't, um, information was much harder to send around the world. And so um, we see a couple of missteps 
in baptism early on in Acts when the church was just a brand new baby. Like Apollos was this very, very gifted teacher and he lived in Ephesus and he was very smart, um, a really amazing um, communicator. But we see in Acts 15 or Acts 18 that he was corrected by um, Priscilla and Aquila because um, the scripture tells us he only knew about John's baptism. And so it goes on to say, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So he didn't even understand the full concept of baptism. We see it later when Paul was back in Ephesus. He found some believers and he asked them, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit um, when you were baptized? No, they replied, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, everything's fresh. Everything's new. All this stuff is a brand new concept, and they're doing the best with what they know. And he asked them, then what, what baptism did you experience? And they said, the baptism of John. It's the only one they knew. They knew about John the Baptist because his fame had spread first and sooner. So, so Paul tells them, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we kind of start to see its progression, right? How it's starting to deepen in meaning. It's starting um, to, their understanding is starting to widen. So we don't see any of the language of baptism from the New Testament letters back in the Gospels. Um, We see them talking about baptism in different ways. At the time, the gospel writers and characters understood baptism just as far as Jesus' example could take them at the time. They certainly believed it was for the repentance of sin, which is still true. Um, I think that would have been their complete understanding of it. They positively thought it was only for Jews. So that got real weird later. Um, and, and so and even John understood as much as he could. You know, he told us, I'm going to baptize you with water, but later... One is coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. And he didn't even know fully what that meant at the time. So, um, in other words, this thing, this, this, this moment is going to mean something more later. Um, um, Jesus is going to take baptism to the next level. So, we see kind of as we read forward um, into the letter. So, the early church is now on the ground. Um, the apostles are teaching and traveling and spreading um, the good news. Gentiles are being invited in to salvation, to everybody's shock. And so we watch the theology of baptism start firming up during the ministry of the apostles after Jesus's resurrection. And that's when we start getting some really beautiful teaching um, on what baptism fully meant. So I'm going to just there's, there's just a couple of points, and I'm going to go through them quickly this morning. Um, we, see, we see it in all the New Testament letters. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews, Peter, John, they all talked about this. Um, years and years, decades after the resurrection, right, um, when their understanding of God and the gospel and, and baptism was, had been more developed. Um, so once they had the full story, and that's what baptism is. It's a story. It's a really beautiful story. So I combed through all the later teachings on baptism, and I found three key passages that I think um, tell the story best, the story of baptism. The first one's Paul in Romans 6. So um, what Paul is explaining, and listen, Romans, you guys, it's just no joke. It's just no joke. You've got to have a lot of coffee before you dive into the theology of Romans. It is just dense, 
dense, dense. It is so smart. But in Romans 6, Paul starts explaining it like this. He's like, okay, you guys, here's what baptism is fully. Um, Baptism is, it's a symbol. It's symbolic. It's a metaphor. Um, It's symbolic of dying to and burying an old life, right? Um, And then being raised up in a completely new one, like Jesus did through the cross, burial, and resurrection. So he's like, now these two things are a mirror. That was a new idea. That was not something that we ever knew how to identify with. You know, nobody expected Jesus to die on the cross. Um, so that was a new, a new piece of the story incorporated into baptism. This is the key point to me. Um, this, this is the verse out of that explanation that tells us why baptism is still a story worth believing in and worth participating in. Because in Romans 6, verses 6 and 7, this is what Paul explains. This is why we get baptized. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. It's pretty monumental. Pretty, it's not just a metaphor. It's not just a ritual. Um, it's just, it's, it's more than that. Something very spiritual and mysterious happens in this obedience. Chains are somehow broken over our lives. Um, bondage that has kept, if, kept us as captives, maybe our whole lives or for years, are some, we're set free from it. it, it it's, a, it's a spiritual mystery that I do not know how to explain to you, except that I will tell you, um, having a lifetime of, of being in a ministry, in a ministry's family, and then as uh, ministers as adults, I will tell you that we have watched countless examples when the, the act of baptism has set someone free. I can't explain it. I can't, the water's not magical. I mean, we've been in rivers. We've been in horse troughs. We've been in swimming pools. It's not that. There's something spiritual um, about being set free from sin and bondage that happens in baptism. It's a good story. If that was it, that'd be enough, but there's more. Paul tells us again in Galatians 3, he's like, okay, let me give you another way to think of it. Another important piece of the story of baptism. Baptism, he says, is like, it's like putting on a new outfit. That's how he describes it. It's like putting on a new outfit. And, and, and once you do, once you shed that old uniform and you put this new one on, you look sideways and you find out that all your brothers and sisters in Christ are wearing the same thing. And so he goes on to say that in baptism, now there are no longer hierarchies. Um, There are no longer labels. There are no longer insiders and outsiders. Baptism makes us a family, and it puts our feet all on the same ground. It's a pretty big deal. Um, This is how he says it specifically in Galatians 3.28. After baptism, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah! Yeah! And then again, Peter in 1 Peter 3. Baptism is a picture of being set free in our minds, um, able to stand rightly and beloved in front of God because of Jesus. Beautiful. Here's what Peter explains. Baptism means we are free from guilt. Free from guilt. Oh my gosh, can I get an amen? 
This is how he puts it specifically in 1 Peter 3.21. That water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body. It's not the water. But as a response to God from a clean conscience. Hands up if you would like a clean conscience in this life. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. This is a good story, you guys. It's a really good story. Let me sum it up for you based on what the apostles taught us in the New Testament. Baptism means a fresh, new life set free from the power sin holds over us. So in other words, you're an overcomer now. That, That does not hold you back anymore. That is not your story. That is not your label. You're an overcomer. Baptism means we are one family. We're wearing the same outfit. And there is no outsider. There is no less than status. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you came from. The waters level the playing field. You matter and you're in. And then baptism is this perfect picture, this experience that Jesus invites us into of a clean conscience. Guilt and shame is over. You're free. That's what it means. That's the story of baptism. And every bit of this is made possible because of Jesus and Jesus only. That's it. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he is into us. He says, I'm going to give you this thing. And through it, you're going to identify with me, first of all, what a gift and a joy. You are going to bury an old life, and you are going to be raised to a new one. And everything that held power over you, every every prison you've ever lived in, here's the keys. I'm going to put you in a family where everyone matters the same. No one is more or less loved than a single other person. There are no hierarchies. There are no complicated ways to get to Jesus anymore. No one is a gatekeeper. We are all wearing the same shirt. Then, not only are you free in your, in your body, in your actions, you're free in your mind. I will wipe your brain free of shame and of guilt, and you will stand clean and pure with open, joyful hands in front of a holy God. I mean, if that is not a miracle, then let's all just go home. That is the story of baptism. I've seen that happen. I've, I've experienced it in my own life. I've seen it happen in the lives of so many brothers and sisters. I'm reminded of a really great story. A few, few years ago, um, we had some friends, Brandon and I, and they were new believers, newish, and had come to, to Jesus for the first time and were learning and being discipled, and they were growing and figuring it all out. And they had made this big decision um, to, to include adoption as part of their story, and which was not anything that had ever occurred to them in life. But I'm just telling you, when you follow Jesus, your life gets weird, okay? Like you're all of a sudden going to be thinking about things and open to ideas that maybe never occurred to you before. And they found themselves in that place. And they were, it was the, the day before they were about to head halfway around the world, um, to complete their adoption. And our phones ring at 1030 at night. It's the dead of winter, okay? 1030 at night, guys, it's us. 
we get on a plane in the morning, they tell us, and we cannot go before we've been baptized. We just can't. We just know that before we step our foot into this story, this is a piece that has yet to be completed in our life. We cannot go. We, we need you to baptize us right now. And we were like, mm-hmm. So we said, all right, meet us down at the neighborhood pool. So we pull all of our kids out of a dead sleep. It's almost 11 at night at this point. Pull them out of a dead sleep. We wrap them in blankets. You know, we don't have coats. Um, we, we wrap them in blankets. They pull their k- kids out. We meet down at the Garlic Creek pool. Now, of course, it's winter. It's closed. It's locked. Well, we're gamers. So we're like, all right, we pull our cars in, pointed at the pool. We turn on our headlights as high as they'll go. And we get to the fence. And so we tell all of our kids, we're like, all right, we should go. All right. <laughs> Tuck and roll when you hit the ground. Like, I don't know, hit, aim for the grass, right? We boost them over the fence, and we all jump the fence. And our kids sat on the edge, and Brandon wades into that freezing, icy, cold pool with our friends in their clothes. Everybody's fully clothed and baptizes them. And it was so holy and so sacred and so beautiful, and it set something free in their hearts. It said, it it communicated something to both their souls and to their God. We're all in here. Like, we are all in here for your name, for your kingdom, and for your purpose. You know, it's funny. um, Jesus has set us free, actually, all of us, from a whole lot of rituals and um, ceremonies that were once prescribed in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever read any of that, but it is heavy, man. Just so much to do. Everything was so specific. It was so fragile to figure out how to get sinful human beings in the presence of a holy, perfect God. And so there were a thousand steps to do. All the purifications and all the, here's how you get clean and here's how quickly you can get unclean. It was so easy. Um, Here's how you fix it. And it was just complicated to follow God. And Jesus, in so many ways, has made that obsolete for us because Jesus paid that price, the cost for what it, the, for the fee for you and I to stand in front of God, Jesus paid it and it's done. There is no more curtain between us and between God. It was, there's a reason that the, the New Testament writers said it was for freedom that Jesus set you free. Like you want to know why he did it? So you'd be free there. That's the reason for freedom that he set you free. And so, um, there, there is no more curtain, but handful of, of, of rituals and of sacraments remain. Um, and, and depending on what sort of church you're in on a Sunday morning, you'll hear of a few different ones, some that we specifically observe and are precious to us, um, that some of the sacraments and rituals we hang on to. Communion, right, every Sunday. Baptism. Um, fasting. Tithing. Trey talked about that last week. Um, Sabbath. Hebrews tells us the Sabbath remains. Liturgy. Um, we we um, practice some really beautiful pieces of liturgy here um, because there's just something incredibly ancient and sacred about it. And so we've, we've hung on um, to these, these elements that have lasted. And I'll tell you honestly, um, I, I've grown up in church my whole life, and you know this, I've explained this to you before. Um, and, and whether it was because of, I'm not really sure what combination is true, 
whether it's specifically what I was taught and how, um, if it was maybe just how I heard it, um, and and, and some combination of just who I am. I am, uh, at least I used to be, I don't know what happened, but I used to be a big-time rule follower and very type A and very by the book. And so I was just a very black-and-white thinker. Um, And so maybe it was just my ears. Maybe it was the way my ears heard things, or maybe it was one big mix of all that. But whatever it was, that combination produced mm, a resistance in me to some God stuff in my young adult years, where I thought, this is all legalism. I don't want it. Um, I I don't like it. Um, It's kind of made me a jerk. And I burned a lot of bridges. I don't like people who are acting like this. Um, I don't like all this stuff. Um, I didn't like this behavior modification way to know God. You know, in in other words, just behave. Just behave this, 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 and this, and you can stay in the club. I didn't like it. And so I I had this little season where I essentially just pushed it all aside. Well, I don't want any of it. It's dumb. I'll just pray. Tra-la-la. I'll pray in the forest. That's church. Um, And I I think I, I threw the baby out. I'm with the bathwater there for a while. But um, I'll tell you what I've learned now, having stayed the course longer and grown up a little, seen more, learned more, experienced more of Jesus. Um, I think these, these rituals and these sacraments, they're not meant to burden us. It's actually the exact opposite, the polar opposite. Um, these this communion and tithing and baptism and, and all these beautiful things Jesus still invites us into, these are the elements of a truly abundant life. Every single one of them. Um, they mean freedom. They mean connection. Um, they mean rest. They mean forgiveness. They mean generosity. And they mean joy and simplicity. This is how Jesus put it when people were pressing him on the Sabbath, for example, which still remains. This is how he tried to explain the Sabbath because for them it was just a yoke. It was just another box to check um, so that they could be holy. And Jesus said it like this. Um, Listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? These are for us. These are for us. These are gifts. These are treasures, spiritual treasures that God has kept in front of us because this life is noisy and it is cruel and it is confusing and it is exhausting. And so God has laid out a few spiritual practices to heal us and to nourish us in the midst of it all. In every possible way, Jesus is for us. I want to read this to you. Um, My sister-in-law, Sarah, my brother Drew's wife, they got married last uh, summer, and she is, uh, she is the most sincere and devout Catholic I have ever met in my entire life. Like, those of you boys who were raised in a Catholic home, like, this is who your mama wanted you to marry. You know, like, Mary, get you a good Catholic girl. Well, my Baptist brother got him a good Catholic girl, okay? And so um, she is so deeply spiritual, and she was, we were texting back and forth yesterday, and um, she was she sent me a little screenshot of her very, very favorite saint, Saint Teresa, um, and she of something that she wrote, and I want to read it to you. I think we actually have it. Up. Either way, I'll read it to you. And um, this is something that Saint Teresa said: "It is true 
that instinctively we seek to climb the rough stairway of perfection instead of taking the gentle elevator of the arms of Jesus. This is because we have been told so often of our miseries. We've been told, and rightly, that we are miserable. And then we have been told about Jesus, that he is good, yes, but not enough that he is wondrously good, infinitely good, infinite charity. No one has told us at the same time that he is Savior before he is judge, and that in the heart of God, justice and peace have embraced, like Psalm 84 tells us. We have been trained in the habit of looking at our dark side, our ugliness, and not at the purifying sun, light of light, which he is, who changes the dust that we are into pure gold. I'm telling you that Jesus is for us and that he is Savior before he is judge. And if he has asked us to do something, it is not to waste our time, it is not to be a spiritual burden, and it is not so that we can prove our worth to him. It is for our souls. It is for our development. It's for our healing and for our own nourishment. Quick reminder as we wrap it up here. According to Scripture, the story of baptism has three key components for every single one of us. Because of Jesus and Jesus alone, through baptism, you're an overcomer, you matter, and you're a part of this family, and you're free. It's a good story. Um, right before we pray, I'm just reminded of um, two very wonderful, delightful examples um, that we see in the New Testament um, of the invitation to be baptized and the way that it's possible to respond um, to this. So the first one, Brandon's mentioned several times, you know, we see this story in uh, Acts 8, and it's this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading the scriptures, and he needs somebody to explain it to him. And of course, um, there's Philip, who the Holy Spirit has prompted to stay near. And so Philip explains Jesus to him and explains the gospel, everything. This is the fulfillment of what you're reading. And this Ethiopian eunuch, this is exactly what he says in Acts 8, as they're like driving in their chariot. He goes, look, there's some water. Why wouldn't I be baptized? So there's one very dear, very immediate, almost childlike response right, to this invitation to be baptized. And the second one that I want to mention um, is the very next chapter, and it's, it's when Saul turned into Paul. Um, so it's, it's the road to Damascus, and here is Saul, and he's a terrible enemy um, to the followers of Jesus, absolutely terrible enemy, and, you know, Jesus is about to wreck his life out. So um, he's on the road to, the, to Damascus, and he describes it like this later in Acts 22 when he's telling the story um, of his conversion. He says, Then Ananias told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. And then he says to Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. And so we see these two possible responses to baptism in scripture. Why wouldn't I be baptized? And what are you waiting for? And so my prayer over us this morning, um, as we think about what Jesus has invited us into, 
is that if he is just stirring your heart, if he's drawing you near, if he's saying, this is for you, I don't need this from you, um, this doesn't increase your salvation, this, doesn't, this, isn't a, this isn't a box to be checked, but I have some beautiful spiritual mysteries in store for you on the other side of this bit of obedience. I'm inviting you into this story of baptism. I pray that you'll say yes, why wouldn't I? Let me pray. Um, thank you, Jesus, that your, your ways are always good. Everything, everything you've told us, everything you've invited us into, it's good and it's for our good and it's for the good of this world and we can trust it and we can trust you. Um, thank you for the mystery of baptism and how it is um, healed and renewed and changed so many people throughout all of time. You're a good savior, and it's a miracle every time that you can take a human heart and mold it into the likeness of yours. So we are here um, today, and we put our obedience in front of you, and we say, take it and use it because we belong to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.